0: Battelle for Kids is proud to present the EdSpark podcast with Dr. Karen Garza. Battelle for Kids is a national not-for-profit organization with the mission of realizing the power and promise of 21st century learning for every student.
1: Well, I've been very excited to have this conversation with Jamie. Jamie and I have known each other for a long time, and she's, she's a brilliant person anyway, but uh, she has just profound uh, knowledge around the science of hope. And it's particularly I think resonating today. So we're very excited, I'm very excited to have this opportunity to, to talk about and share some of this uh, with others who are who find this uh, topic also interesting and helpful, particularly t- today. So Jamie, just to get us started, why do you think is hope is is important to education leaders today and and you know and what are you seeing out there in terms of the response you're getting? Yeah
2: thanks, Karen. It's a pleasure, and you've been a great collaborator of mine. So it's been it's been a real pleasure to take this journey with you, and especially in terms of what it means to educators and educational leaders. And I would submit that um, hope has always been important, particularly in education. And I would also submit that by nature, that's what educators do. Educators are hope builders. And that goes all the way back to me thinking about my own first grade teacher and the hope that she instilled in me for the future. So I want to honor the profession and say that um, that's why this topic intrigues me the most. But you ask about this moment in time. And I think that um, particularly the past three years have been um, real challenging, daunting for um, across all sectors. Uh, of humanity. But in education in particular, the care and keeping of children and the educators who nurture the lives and the future of children have never been more important. Because as a leader, in my mind, that's the foundation of what leadership is. You're leading people somewhere, right? Where are you leading us? And I think it's a moment of, for all of us to reflect on, on a moment of where am I leading people? And um, leaders have always been called upon in times of uncertainty, um, in times of despair, um, sadness, loss, um, and challenges and setbacks to illuminate a path forward. And I think it's never been more important for um, educational leaders to feel that in this moment and to take a moment to really reflect on on that that challenge and that charge.
1: Yeah, I so agree with you. And um, you know, I've always known intuitively, that people want to follow hopeful, mm-hmm. inspirational leaders, you know, yeah. that they they do how important it is to be hopeful about the future. Yeah. yeah I that. didn't understand how deep the science of hope, you know, was. Yeah. And I, I've told you many times, Jamie, I wish I'd known that as a superintendent. I wish I'd known, you know, I always knew it was important. And, and I so agree with you. I think some of the mo- most powerful educators in the world were were people who cultivated you know, hope within their young, their students and the people they worked with. Uh, but I'd never understood the science of it and yeah. how powerful it is to cultivate it and what you can do to act on it until I met you. So before we kind of get into the details and kind of a little bit more about uh, what it is, tell us a little bit about your background and how you began this. Because you have a, a Such depth of understanding on this topic, but I know it didn't happen just overnight. So tell us about how you started this journey uh, in the study of science. I mean,
2: excuse me, the study of uh, science of hope. Yeah. So um, yeah, my background, I grew up in rural Appalachia, Southern Ohio. Um, A lot of people don't realize that is Appalachia. I grew up in the tri-state area of West Virginia and Kentucky and southernmost point of Ohio and um, went back after college to that area to start my teaching career. And um, it, I taught in a school at the time that um, the classroom was 100 percent poverty, 100 percent of the children in that school. My first job was. Um, needed assistance with just basic needs. And so it was not a loss on me about what we're doing here in education matters to the lives of children and how you change the trajectory. Um, But I was really uh, taken aback um, really about 20, 25 years into my educational career where I just stumbled on to some of this data about the power of hope. And in defense of my pre-service faculty for my training to become a teacher, my beginnings, this science did not exist. Um, It's about 30 years old, uh, the evolution of hope science, and it's running parallel tracks with brain science. And we can talk more about that later, but um, I accidentally discovered the power of the science of hope when I read an article about um, how important hope is and that a hope score is a greater predictor of future success than a child's ACT score for example, or any standardized test um, and their GPA. And it took me aback as an educator who had a deep dive in educational data and assessment and because I was always really curious about what practices, what works. And so I was really um, using a lot of data to drive my own practices and my own personal reflection. And when I read that, that your level of hope is a greater predictor of your future success, it was a moment for me. It was a it was a game changer because I thought I don't know anything about this, nor do I have any information about the level mm-hmm. of hope in my students. So it became a real calling for me because um, as an educator, I thought the more I read, the more I was like, why don't we know this? Why didn't somebody tell me this? And so it doesn't take a long time to really get enough of a dose of this that you really understand. a a different way about your work. And so that was my journey. And so what I do today, and you said it yourself, Karen, I think um, I don't take credit for um, the um, insights that I've learned around this as much as there are pioneer researchers in the science of hope. And what I do in my mind is help educators translate that, cross that bridge from the science of, of hope and the psychology of hope and how our brain works to what are the implications for what should educators know about this? So um, that's kind of the the lane I try to stay in and be mindful that I'm not a psychologist, but know <laughs> your lane, right? And so I'm trying to really constantly read this and absorb it and think about what does this mean for educators? And it's never been um, more powerful and resonating in this moment because across the country, and you know, Karen, we just finished a campaign at the for Kids where we've talk to educators in in states across this country. And loud and clear, we are hearing a need for help with uh, well-being, mental health, even low mood uncertainty. And we see it as a significant barrier for um, the work we, we wanna do in education, which is to help prepare students for their future. So it's never been more important that we step into this space and, and have an important conversation about the role we can play as educators.
1: Well, Jamie's a very humble person. <laughs> she uh, has been uh, immersed and really st- been a real student of the science of hope for over ten years. And so, when you if you ever have an opportunity to spend you know more time with Jamie, you'll, it's very evident <laughs> that she she knows this topic really well. Although she might not be you know a psychologist or, or a sociologist or anything, she 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 knows a lot about it. Um, before we get into kind of the things that educators and leaders and just, you know, the general public needs to know about hope and how important it is to cultivate it and how you can do that. Talk about what's confusing first, you know, and how people, the misperceptions around hope, um, you know, would you talk about that first and then we'll dig into what it really is.
2: Yeah, that's that's the biggest challenge. And, and I would say uh, uh, you can see it when you go into a room, like with a live audience, you can see the people who are just kind of sitting back, let me just see what this is about. Because many of us have heard that term for hope is not a strategy, and and it's sort of um, permission to be dismissive of how powerful a mindset it can be. And um, I would say that notion of hope is not a strategy. That is a very fair statement to make in the 70s, because we did not know what we know today that hope, in fact, is a strategy. Hopeful thought, hopeful leadership visionary leadership requires strategic thinking. And so um, what's the most difficult to get to the table, and I always spend time talking about this first, is you gotta help people cross that bridge and give people some grace is that, you know, when you know better, you do better. And um, we just didn't know, we did not know. So people will come up to me sometimes after a talk, like a confession and say, you know, I've been, I've been saying that to my staff, hope's not a strategy. And I need to walk that back. And I always say, that's fine. You know, (laughs) that's what we do in education. We learn. And when you learn, you share. And um, so I usually just say it out loud. So did I. Um, so you have to help people because we have an informal use of the word hope, right? And it's um, mm-hmm. casual, friendly. I hope you have a good day. I hope it doesn't rain today. And that is wishful thinking. And so in our everyday conversations, we refer to hope as um, the informal use of the word hope. And I mm-hmm. always talk with people about Let's, that's, uh, that's fair and that's valid and that's a great use of the word, um, but it's only a part. It's, it's not wrong. It's just incomplete. And so I would submit that um, the science of hope is a little more complex. And so we have to go a little bit deeper and talk about the science of hope. What people do want to hear in this moment is that, please tell us, Jamie, that you're not coming in here and talking to us about naive positivity. Like, oh, everything's going to be okay in the morning. You know, that Mm -hmm. hope is actually more than passive wishful thinking. Hope, it really requires action. And that's what we'll unpack here a little bit more is and when you can get people there, then you can start opening up some minds to say, OK, tell me. more." And so that's the key part. You have to help people understand that's that's not what we're talking about. That's a different that's a different workshop.
1: So so we're going to uh, thank you for that, Jamie. I think we've all used that that yeah. uh, phrase, you know, hope is not a strategy. Um you know, so I, I, I appreciate the way you've kind of positioned that as, yeah, we've learned a lot since then, so there's nothing wrong with what happened in the past, but we need to, you know, really lean into this science and because it can have just a profound impact on our uh, ability to serve children well, but also to support the adults in our systems. It, it just, I think it has profound implications yep. for the future of our of our profession, so um, I know I just want to tell our listeners we're going to we're not able in this short amount of time to go into a deep dive around that science of hope. Yeah. So we're just going to kind of give you a flavor of some of these things. Uh, but just know there's so much more. We could spend hours and hours and hours talking about this. Uh, so I've asked Jamie to really just kind of do, give us a taste of it. Um, so let's get into it, Jamie. How would you describe the science of, of hope?
2: Well, um, we have to go all the way back to what is referred to as the father of um, hope science. And um, this goes back to, um, I would say to you, if you were doing your own research and you started Googling science of hope, um, your first page of your Google search, the name C.R. Snyder, Dr. Snyder's work would show up on the first page. And Mm -hmm. he is known as the early pioneer of hope science. And um, out of his work out of the University of Kansas, and he first posited it was it was known as a hope theory. Um, And you'll still see that in some of the early research of hope theory. Today's new generation of hope science, um, we know that it's no longer a theory. It's proven science more than 2000, probably and counting. There's probably even more today uh, published Uh, research um, articles and documents and studies on the science of hope. So C.R. Snyder was on to something. And I love this because we talk about this a lot, Karen. I know you're a a new um, grandmother of um, three beautiful grandchildren. And um, every time I talk about C.R. Snyder's entry point into this work, um, he shares in his book, um, The Psychology of Hope, his entry point into this. And I think it's really fascinating. It's a deeply personal um, his, his humanity of looking at a newborn grandchild and wondering, mm-hmm. what does the future hold for this baby? And being a researcher, and he was actually on sabbatical and uh, goes to the library to research um, the connections between how we think about our future and our trajectory. And he comes up empty handed. And he makes that his life work from that point forward. And I think that's really beautiful. It really connects with us all. And I don't have the pleasure yet of being a grandparent, but I've not talked to a grandparent yet who doesn't talk about that extraordinary moment and how life-changing it is. And I I love that notion that that was his impetus. So um, he tells us that hope is more than wishful thinking and that it is comprised of three interrelated component part. So it's a multifaceted construct. Hope is more of an umbrella term of three key components in our life. And that is one is goals, that hopeful people have goals. Um, There's something, an aspiration, something they want in the future. So it's forward thinking. It's something that lies ahead that they're aspiring toward. and So that gets packaged as a goal. Um, his uh, C.R. Snyder's had a doctorate student by the name of Shane Lopez, and I would say he is the um, you know, first follower of C.R. Snyder's yeah. work and that um, a pioneer as well. His work shows up. Shane's book, Making Hope Happen, um, was instrumental um, because he gives dedicated chapters on education. And Shane talks about the, the goal component of hope being um, hopeful people believe their future will be better than their present no matter their present circumstances, even if they're not so bad. Um, And that is because hopeful people believe life circumstances, even hard stuff, the tough stuff, have something to teach us that we can use to make our life better. And I love that notion. You know, it's really how you, in that moment of a setback or uncertainty, how you take that moment of awareness and say, "Hmm, what is there to learn in this moment? And how can I use that to make my life better? So that's the goal part. So we use our life experiences to create a better future for ourselves and others. And the second component part is a pathway. And that means, um, you know, if we stopped right there at goals, it wouldn't be more than wishful thinking, right? Just aspirational thought. But the second ingredient is a pathway. And researchers describe that as a mental path uh, from point A, my current state, to my desired future state, and that I have a mental path in my mind that I can see a way forward. And so that pathway is um, critically important because that pathway is the way forward that inspires us then to take a step on the path to to move to a better future. Pathways thinking is really important because uh, let's go back to education. I'm glad we talk a lot more about pathways for kids and that is that parallel route to a pathway. How does a kid, um, a student, a young person see away from their current state To their future desired state. And so that's what we do in education is, in my mind, we illuminate the path forward. I talk a lot about that in my talk, how my first year of teaching, I had that backwards. I thought the goal was to get kids excited about learning high school English grammar, right? Like who would not be excited about that? So I put all my time and energy, well intended, into if I could just create a more engaging lesson plan around English, right? Like what am I gonna do here to get kids excited and put exhausting amount of energy into that and um, well-intended. But when I started studying this research, that's where it changed my thinking I had it backwards. My first goal was to get kids excited about their future. So what's your future? What, 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 how do you see yourself into the future? Get kids excited about that. My English classroom was the pathway was the stepping stone, not the goal. So yeah. when I saw that, it changed how I taught. It, it changed my strategy. It changed my planning and my practice to think about that differently. So that's goals and pathway, pathway to the future. Go ahead, Karen. Um, pathways, what
1: I, I, I found so compelling too with, okay, your goal, then a pathway, but it's more than one pathway. Right. So if you, yes. right, if you run into obstacles, which I know, you know it kind of goes to the resilience thing that you know i can uh if i run into a barrier here i have other pathways so could you talk just a
2: moment about things, yeah that young people having varied pathways yeah that's a key part and i'm glad you're pulling that out is that uh the pathway to the goal and the belief remember uh, hope is both a mindset and a skill so this belief and knowledge that there is more than one pathway to the goal um And none of those pathways are free from barriers and obstacles. So a pathways, researchers even call that pathways thinking, is understanding that there's there's an aspirational goal in the future. And I need to understand there's more than one goal there, because when life throws us a curveball of a barrier or an obstacle, um, I have to have the skill. And figuring out what's the alternative pathway forward. And so that sets at the heart of what brain scientists and researchers are discovering today when a barrier and obstacle arises between our our personal um, current state and our future desired state and an inability to craft an alternative pathway forward, we get stuck. And when we get Mm -hmm. stuck, that can be a definition of hopelessness. We sit in apathy when we don't know how to move forward. Um, that, that to me is where this work that we're doing at Patel for Kids and helping school systems with their portrait of a graduate and really talking about the skills and mindsets that are essential today, that pathways work of being able to, that's problem solving, right? Yes. That is critical thinking. That is resilience. As you said, how do I respond? What are my skills and mindsets in the moment? when life throws me a curveball, because guess what? We all know we can test, we can provide testimony to that. That is coming. And how do you respond in that moment? And how do we prepare children for their response? So the research says, and this is so compelling to me, not just as an educator, but as a parent, that those who report fewer barriers and obstacles also report lower levels of hope. And when I first saw that, I thought, that can't be. What do you mean? Like, you know, when life's harder, you have more challenges, you're lower hope. And, um, you know, that I always say the translation of that is entitlement is a hope killer. And that's pretty powerful because what parent doesn't want their child to have, to not have to face the barriers and obstacles that we've had to face, right? So you try to doze the path, perhaps, You know, let me make this a little easier on you. And what we do unintentionally, and I would submit it's not just parents. It it can be educators and adults and advocacy. And that's important um, to remove um, unnecessary barriers, right? Antiquated systems and structures. We have to work to remove those. But there's a sweet spot, right? We also can't plow that pathway that robs students of the practice that they need, the rehearsal, of overcoming barriers and obstacles. So that's how you get good at problem solving is you get experience in problem solving. That's, that's a tough one. And I would submit educators have been onto this for a while. They understand the rigor part. The rigor component of learning is really helping kids to be challenged in their learning
0: experiences because they need that experience
2: of solving problems.
0: EdLeader21 is Battelle for Kids' network of innovative school systems committed to the transformation of education, anchored in a renewed vision for student success in the 21st century. Portrait of a graduate. Battelle for Kids is now accepting new memberships into the network for the 2023-2024 school year. Don't miss your chance to join the nation's premier network for education transformation and become connected with hundreds of systems around the country committed to 21st-century deeper learning. Learn more about membership at BFK.org slash EdLeader21. That's BFK.org slash EdLeader21.
1: Well, you know, we, we oftentimes will hear business leaders say that that's one of the greatest challenges they face is when they hire young people. And, and they're, they're paralyzed, you know, and they want them to jump in and figure things out without getting, you know, hung up. And and they're able to figure out other ways to get to a problem. We just interviewed a series of business leaders recently who talked very passionately about that. Um, They want uh, young people coming into their business willing to, you know, figure it out if they can and know when it's time to ask for help. Uh, But to figure out those multiple pathways getting to the to whatever they're trying to accomplish, but the okay. third part of that is also important, right? So yeah. you talked about goals, pathways, goals, and, and pathways. We're, we're talking about, kind of talking about the last one too, which is really important. Yeah,
2: yeah, and you know, I found um, the the third one is a, a agency, and mm. again, educators are doing a great job heightening the importance of agency, um, even packaging um, being very mindful of learner agency. And I would say the science of hope is a broader agency than than um, learner agency, but it, it they're, they're first cousins for sure. This agency um, minds, reminds a lot of us of Carol Dweck's work in growth mindset, right? So it's the story we tell ourselves about our ability to take that path and arrive at the future goal, right, to meet our aspirations. And so agency is is also where learner motivation sits. It's my mindset. um, And and I always refer to it as um, the belief and understanding that I'm the author of my own life story. And I I love the researchers who say, when, when you become aware that you are responsible for your thinking, you become responsible for your thinking. I, I think that's that. really powerful. It's sort of <laughs> obvious, but it's also, for me, um, it, it's pretty powerful to think about that. I'm responsible for that. I'm responsible for my mindset and the story I tell myself about my abilities. Now, here's what's really important. And, and I, you know, this is like, as you said, this is a 10-year journey. I take out any reference to things like self-help and not to be dismissive of self-help, but... Mm-hmm. I think what's important, I don't want to be confusing about agency is, you know, I grew up in rural Appalachian and Karen, I know you too had had a a similar background, but I think we both grew up in areas where, you know, we probably heard pull up your bootstraps a number of times, right? Like, like, step it up, you know, and the reason I don't say that so much anymore is that agency is not about figuring this out in isolation. Because when I started studying, okay, what are the characteristics or the behaviors of people who have a high sense of agency. And it's important to know they are resource seekers. They are people who do not go it alone. And I think that's really important for children to know this is not about sitting in isolation and figuring it out. This is about scanning your environment, doing your resources and assets. And I would say the same for system leaders is to figure it out. Number one, that's, that's the question we ask is what are my needs? And who can help me and what resources do I need? So high agency people, again, I'm going to go back to our portrait of a graduate competencies, are collaborators. They are people who work together. They set we goals, not just me goals. They build shared collective um, agency around a shared goal and aspiration. And I would submit it goes back to Hattie's work in teacher collective efficacy being the number one indicator. And so that that all sits, this is all related of the science. It's all, people come up to me a lot and say, is this connected? And I say, yes, it is. It's human psychology mm-hmm. of, um, we get inspired by people around us who um, can feel the, the moment and the sense of agency. So I always say hopeless students can borrow hope from those around them and so can the adults. And so when we go mm-hmm. together, that's where agency I don't know, this person believes we can do it. So I'm not sure, but I'll go along for the ride. And we make believers out of people when we go together. So um, that's agency. And um, you know, we could go a lot deeper on that. But there what's important to know is um, we talk about them as three separate buckets. But there's a whole lot of reciprocity because we go back to when you problem solve and find a way forward forward. In a moment of uncertainty or when you get stuck you don't know the solution and you think you're stuck and the moment of collaborating with other people to say aha that's the solution we figured it out that builds your agency right And so now you have your so there's a lot of reciprocity where find the path build your agency build your agency find the path and so um when we ask people who are the people who inspired you who are the high hope people in your life it often comes back to people who have a lot of experience overcoming some really hard stuff, and they found the way forward, and they inspire us all. So it's part of that. And, and I, I, this, I think, is a very
1: important piece. I know the the, the research uh, is it's you know very much you know, it's very much uh, deeper than this, but this is a key component, uh, and I want to emphasize it just yet uh, yet again: the goals, pathways, and agency. Um, As I listen to you do these talks all across the country, I find that that is the thing that people really hang on to and not just for students or young people, but also for the adults in the system, our educators, our teachers. You know, if we could do things to help teachers be able to set goals, multiple pathways to those goals and create conditions where they can cultivate agency to get to those goals, it just seems to be a framework that people really are grasping onto as a way to take action on cultivating hope. Would
2: you agree with that? Well said, Karen. And, you know, um, I absolutely agree. And I think the irony is that when you study goals, pathways, and agency, it builds your agency. Um, Just because (laughs) it's sort of like, ah, there is a strategy that I can go back to the classroom and, and as a principal, go back to my teacher's. And really start to unpack this in a way that's diagnostic, in a sense. Like, what's missing? Are we missing a goal mm-hmm. here? Are we missing articulated goal? Are we missing mm-hmm. halfway forward? People just can't see the way forward, and so it it can be energizing. And and that is the experience I've had across the country in this moment. And I I have to say it. It's been you know these are my colleagues. These are educators who got into the profession the same reason I did, and are having the same effect that it had on me when I first heard it. And that's what I love about this profession is you can see their hearts in this work when you start talking mm-hmm. about it. And I, I want to leave people with that personal moment, but I can see a cathartic moment that educators have. And it is not uncommon to go into um, a, a staff meeting, a ballroom, 100 a, a teachers, 500 educators, 200, whatever, small group, and see just tears rolling down the face in the moment. And it's not. It's not a uh, it's it's not a sadness. It's sort of like a cathartic moment for people like, oh, I'm missing and they're self-diagnosing in the moment. Um, Here's where I am. And they're finding their way forward right there in the moment. And I've I've received emails and, you know, Twitter messages. And it's again, Karen, I say I don't take credit for it because I just so honor and I'm grateful for the pioneering work of others that have helped me find the way forward. So that's all I'm trying to do is just say, hey, have you heard about this? Go share the good work, you know, go be a hope builder.
0: Jamie Mead serves as Vice President and Chief of Staff for Battelle for Kids. She leads the execution of the organization's strategic plan to fulfill its mission of collaborating with educators and local communities to inspire passion and purpose for lifelong learning in every student. She has spent her entire career in education She was a high school English, French, and speech teacher, an elementary and high school administrator, and director of curriculum and assessment. Check out the show notes to find many of the resources on hope she mentioned in today's podcast. The EdSpark podcast with Dr. Karen Garza is a production of Battelle for Kids. Visit bfk.org to learn more about how we are helping to transform education systems nationwide. That's bfk.org.